I'm Stuart Childs and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With significant changes coming in the nitrates regulations, one option that dairy farmers can consider to reduce their overall stocking rate while allowing them to maintain existing cow numbers is contract rearing. And while it isn't a new idea, it is an option that more people may be considering from 2023, not only from a nitrates perspective but also from a workload point of view. I spoke to Michael Burke, dry stock advisor in the Chagas Park office, and I started by asking Michael, why does he promote contract rearing to his clients? There are many reasons why I'd recommend contract rearing to dry stock clients. I suppose the first one is it's profitable. Um, while beef prices are good at the moment, um, a dry stock farmer may get on one hand, will have to give out on the other hand to follow day to buy in stock. So it is a very profitable system. Um, there's a steady income every month. Its uh, payments are generally done through direct debit on a monthly basis. Um, I suppose dry stock farmers can re- remain in control of their farm. There's a lot of uncertainty around the place there for the last few years in terms of the future of the single farm payment and what would happen with entitlements, etc. So this allows the dry stock farmer to remain in complete control of the farm um, and also reduce the risks um, from the marketplace. So it takes the volatility of um, beef price out of the equation. And also, I suppose, if... Um, if the costings are done in this correctly, um, basically what a beef farmer should be getting in this should compensate for the for leasing out the farm. So that's basically where the, the Chagas calculator is done, which we'll discuss again later on. Okay, so you're, you're, what you're saying there is there's a nice bit in it for more over and above kind of the value of the, the payment itself for the contract rearing f- from the point of view of the, the dry stock farmer that they get to retain the land. They get to retain control of their farm uh, as well, obviously, as you said, is important from the point of view of uh, single farm payments. They're also still eligible for schemes, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Every farmer that goes contract round is entitled to draw down the new acres programme. Um, as I said, they're entitled to draw down their single farm payment. And the Chagas calculator, I suppose, is is the device to do that. It's it basically does um, labour charge put into the calculator. And then the farmer, the beef farmer then can input... Um, the value of their own land, so whether it be 200 euros an acre, 300 euros an acre, 400 euros an acre, that's factored into the calculator. So again, they're getting rewarded for their work on the farm. So yeah, it's a very, very viable option for dry stock farms. Okay, and then we'll say from your perspective, talking to your clients, Michael, um, or to, we'll say, dry stock farmers in general, do you find that they're receptive to the idea going contract rearing or is there a little bit of resistance towards it maybe? Yeah, it's a it's a very slow burner. I suppose I'm involved in contract rearing around well over fifteen years. Um, generally after an event, we had one there in Carl March, maybe three to four years ago. There was a good bit of interest there after that. We had one there on the farm of Loyal Butterman and from there only a few weeks ago. And again you get a few phone calls after that. But it is a very, very slow burner. But every year there are a few new um a few new entrants into the into the whole contract rearing. There should possibly be more. Um but again I suppose it's all about the dry stock farmer. And being open-minded into into a contract rearing system, you are working with somebody else, and sometimes um, farmers may find that difficult. Picking up on what you said there, so uh, and knowing that you have a good track record in terms of encouraging your clients that you've been dealing with into different enterprises down through the years, anyway, be it dairy or maybe even branching out into kind of more niche areas as well. What are the attributes that you look for when you're in ass- assessing a client in relation to their potential to be a contract rearer, as the dry stock side of the house will say? Yeah, and I suppose it's important to, to state that as well, like that contract rearing is merely an option for farmers, or for dry stock farms. Um, it's one of many options. 
Um, but a few things that I would look for in, in a farmer is that they must be open-minded and they must be willing to work with somebody else. That's that's the most important part. Um, and they must also be excellent grassland managers because at the end of the day, if um, if, a, if a dry stock farmer is not good at managing grass, they're not going to make money out of contract rearing. They won't be able to carry the stocking rate required. So generally speaking, there are a few things that I would look for, grassland manager, and be very, very open-minded to work with somebody else. And on the grassland management side, Mike, is it... Um is it fair to say that we'll say that they can get a little better at grass management in the in the role of a contract rarer as well, or is that unfair to say? No, that's 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 hundred percent true. Yeah, um, like at the end of the day, um, dairy farmers are very very good at growing grass, um, and I have found over the years that um, grassland farmers or the dry stock farmers tend to improve at their grassland management the longer they're in contract rearing. Um, to have access to a dairy farmer who's who's um, top class at growing grass and two heads are better than one and they're able to bounce ideas off each other. But generally speaking, the fixed costs in a contract rearing system remain static. Whether you have 20 calves, 50 calves or 100 calves, you're still going to have a tractor in the farmyard and it's all about getting feet on the ground. Um, and as the years go on, uh, the dry stock farmer tends to see that and their, their management becomes better and better because that's where the profit is. It's in the number of calves you can carry on the same amount of ground. Okay, so, and just from your own perspective then, is it important in your mind that you don't engage people that you feel are suitable? So like that you're making an assessment of a person and saying, yeah, this person has the potential to be a contract rear, or do you throw it out as an option to everybody? Well, it's out there as an option for everybody, but um, I suppose I know my own clients. I know the people that would be suitable for contract rearing. I know the, the farmers that would be willing to work with somebody else. And again, I know the farmers that are very, very good at, um, at growing grass. But if I get a name from a colleague that maybe I wouldn't have met before, I'll always try and get out to visit that farm um, and assess the farmer for myself before I'd recommend that farmer's name to somebody else because at the end of the day, it has to work both ways. So you can't just give a name to a farmer without knowing who you're dealing with. I suppose, as I always say, it's always nice to know who the childminder is before you send your children there. Um, So it is important that you get to visit the farm, know the farm and get a feel for the farmer yourself before you'd recommend them to anybody else. Very good. Uh, just in terms of then, how do how does the process go? So when you've assessed the child mind or now, how how are you finding the child? We <laughs> um, said, do you um, do, when you establish that meeting with the part with your own client or with that new person that you've engaged with? Where does it go from there? Are you finished with the process then, or or what's the what's your role in cre- getting it onto the next step? Yeah, there's massive variation, massive variation out there. Sometimes it's just a matter of um, exchanging phone numbers from one farmer to the other farmer and you're giving your recommendation. Um, sometimes it involves going back out to visit the farm, maybe more than one occasion, and going through the, the written agreement that Chagas have established and going through that thoroughly with the dry stock farmer just to show them exactly what's in it and the detail that's involved in it. So yeah, there's massive variation from my perspective. Doesn't It can just be, as I said, giving a phone number to a farmer or doing a farm visit and going through the contract around agreement as well. So in a way, you're kind of almost setting up a blind date kind of scenario in the initial stages. And then depending on the requirements, you may be involved further after that, like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, as I said, it's just getting back to knowing the two people you're dealing with because nobody wants, um, nobody wants uh, hassle at the end of the day. So it's important that you are recommending somebody that you know some, something about. Okay. So just in terms of, okay, we've established the, the relationship in terms of that a person's going to go into an agreement, but from your experience, and as you mentioned, you've been involved in contractor nearly 15 years now, what's, um, what is the foundation of the best agreements that you've seen operating? Is it all about the money or what's the story with it? Uh, strangely enough, it's not about the money. Um, it's all about the people involved. Um, there has to be trust between both parties. 
I generally recommend the beef farmer to go visit the dairy farmer as well as the dairy farmer obviously visiting the beef farmer. Um, it's important that both people get to know each other before they go into this. It's a relationship. Um, they have to trust each other. Um, and it just must, it has to work for both parties. At the end of the day, the beef farmer is rare in the future of the dairy farmer's herd. Um, so it, it has to work both ways. And obviously money is, is, is important as well. But for me, it's the trust between both farmers is what's important here. And I suppose it's very important from the dry stock farmer's point of view, Michael, that they're getting a just reward for their time. But that's probably key to the actual agreement is that it's set up at the start, is it? Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, there is a written agreement there. We strongly recommend everybody to, to look through the written agreement, um, go through it together and sign off on it. Uh, there are plenty of uh, agreements out there. We'll say there's plenty of verbal agreements out there and everything is fine until something goes wrong and then it's back to the wall job because um, unless it's written down, who's going to pay for what, um, it just it just creates trouble later on. So it's important that the, that the contract agreement is gone, uh, gone through thoroughly and signed off by both parties and preferably with... Um, a mediator as well or some form of facilitator um, to get them involved as well. Okay, and just, um, I suppose, just from the point of view of uh, what you said there earlier about matching the clients, you're trying to ensure that the agreements will be a success, but what, in your experience, are the main reasons that the agreements fail? Um, I suppose a lot of the agreements just fail to take off um, first day, um, and that's probably the preferable stage for an agreement to fail um, because it just gets very, very messy if uh, the agreements break down later on. So they generally fail before they ever take off the ground, to be honest. So it could just basically mean that a dairy farmer goes to visit the dairy or the beef farmer and just not happy with the grassland management or just gets a bad vibe or they just don't seem to get on for one reason or another. And then they can't, another obvious thing is they just can't agree on a price. So most agreements that I've been involved with just fail to take off the ground. The ones that fail just fail to take off initially. Um, but as I said, if, if, they, if they take off and you work together for the first for the early stages they just tend to work from there on very few fail after that okay so if them if it's a meeting of minds basically it they'll exactly. tend to go yeah yep. so uh, just um i suppose another issue i suppose what's your thinking in relation to the role of weights in terms of keeping everybody happy on both sides of the agreement that we'll say that the dry stock farmer is delivering on his promises we'll say and equally so it's important to point out the dairy farmer is expected to deliver a calf to the contractor in the first place that's at, at the right target weight for that stage that they're arriving on the farm yeah and again that's that's important um, i was only talking to the farmer even earlier on this morning about this and it's important that uh, the calves are weighed um on the dairy farm before they ever come to the beef farmers um farm um and in terms of weights there's there's two agreements there there's a flat rate agreement and there's a weight bonus agreement I'm not um, a particular fan of the weight bonus agreement. I think it's like signing a prenup. There's a lack of trust there from, from the get-go. Um, at the end of the day, if you if you matched up with a good beef farmer, a good beef farmer's job is to put weight on cattle. Um, that's what they have traditionally done, is put weight on cattle. I suppose a dairy farmer's job is to get milk out of a cow, and that's the simplest way I look at it. So if you can get matched up with a good dry stock farmer, um, no better person to put weight on cattle and at the end of the day. It's all about weight, um, getting the animal to reach puberty at an early age, at an earlier age, and it's all that's all weight related rather than age related, as we know. So, yep, that's that's basically the situation there. Okay, and just I suppose going back to the finances, you said it's not all about the money, but um, just what are your thoughts on the increasing costs on on, on all farming systems in twenty twenty two? I suppose uh, it's quite clear, and but how does it impact on contract rearers? And like, is there a risk because of the increasing costs that are there? And maybe people being um, tied into an agreement as such that they 
uh, a bit like some of the fixed milk price contracts that are there that they, they could break down uh, the communications could break down things could get a little bit messy over the, the rising costs what's what's your experience with people yeah costs are significant um but a ton of fertilizer costs the same in a dairy farm as it does in a beef farm so like both parties know that the, the increase in costs are there and again it gets back it gets back to the trust and the level of communication as you just said Stuart. it gets back to the communication it's important that you talk to a dairy farmer ideal with beef farmers obviously so i would be encouraging them to talk to the dairy farmer in time um, at the end of the day the beef farmer still has to maintain a margin out of this because there's an increase in fertilizer or ration costs the beef farmer can't be at a loss but again you must communicate get back to the dairy farmer and outline this there's nobody going to come to you with a check in the hand and say here you go you have to fight your corner and you just have to reason with the dairy farmer and in fairness the vast majority of contract rearing agreements that i'm involved with um there's generally no issue uh, there's generally no issue with money because as i said the dairy farmer knows the price of fertilizer as well as a beef farmer does so again the key word here is communication and communication in time yeah so i suppose that open door policy really as you said about farmers visiting one another's farms even just dropping up to showing an interest i suppose even in the contract rear from the from the dairy farmer's point of view we'll say okay you might take a look at the stock obviously while you're there as well but it's not you're not there to to look over things because you don't trust them you're actually there because of the relationship and that kind of as you said open door policy maybe from a grassland management point of view is good for both but also leads to better communication that there's an actual friendship almost developed around the business agreement is probably key to it as well is it exactly yeah yeah and again this is there's massive variation in this i'm involved with some agreements where the where the dairy farmer will visit um the beef farmer maybe on a weekly basis or fortnightly basis just to check on the stock and I've other cases where the dairy farmer may only visit once a year, and that's to that's in relation to the transport of animals. So the the, the degree of um, visits or or communication is massive on farms, but it's about being able to pick, pick up the phone as well as just being able to visit a farmer. None of us wants um, another farmer living inside in your yard either, just keeping an eye over your shoulder. There has to be that trust element there as well. But again, you have to be able to communicate with each other, and that gets back to the initial the initial bonding, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. Um, and the initial agreements that they've set up in themselves and it's about the trust aspect of it and uh, keeping the doors open as you said short it's in a situation like that because there's no two years the same as we have seen this year and last year every year is different so there must be that level of flexibility within the within the agreement as well and um, that if costs do go up that the, the the margin is maintained and that's that's critical and it has to work on both sides as well like we all know that uh, milk price is going very very well this year so like um, it's important that the dry stock farmer doesn't I suppose get too greedy for want of a better word and is happy with their level of margin um, because if milk price drops next year you know that has to be kept in mind as well so it's a two-way street it's a two-way street absolutely yeah yeah so I suppose um, just as I said in the opening piece there Michael the, the changes to the regulations and stuff would you see that being a big opportunity for your client base we'll say our dry stock farmers in general or what's your thinking on it yeah, I suppose, look, there is an opportunity there for some dry stock farmers to look at going contract rearing. Um, we're all aware of the nitrates regulations and the new banding system that's there for the dairy cow. Um, and there's definitely plenty of information out there on contract rearing. Um, it is a slow burner. Um, maybe from next year on, maybe from next year onwards, it will, it will gain more traction. But it's, it's absolutely a good option for a lot of dry stock farmers. It's a very profitable system. It's a low risk system for the dry stock farmer. Um, it enables them to keep control of their farm. Um, it's a far better option, in my view, and I've said this on numerous occasions before, it's a far better option than leasing out the farm. Okay, granted, the leasing out of the farm is tax-free, 
But if somebody has a, a young son or daughter at home, they may be interested in going farming at some stage down the road. If your contract rearing, at least they have some involvement in the farm as opposed to leasing out the farm for a seven to ten year period. Then they're gone from home and they're not going to come back in their twenties to take up farming at that stage. So look, there's numerous benefits to going contract rearing. It is merely an option. I have to keep saying that because it is an option. We're not trying to railroad anybody to contract rearing, but it is an option that's definitely well worth looking at. And Michael, I suppose you said there you're not trying to railroad people into contract rearing, but Lyle is a good example of it there a couple of weeks ago on, at the event. He's actually still running his dry stock enterprise um, side by side with the contract rearing, so it actually can complement the business as much as it, it's not necessarily a full all-in-all-out scenario. Yeah, it can complement the business, and I suppose that brings its own element of risk as well. If you've maybe got um, your own stock and a dairy farmer stock inside into one yard, uh, Lyle is in a, in a fortunate position where he's got several blocks of ground, so from a TB perspective, that has to be kept in mind as well. But it can run side by side with another business, for argument's sake, if you're the sheep enterprise or if you're the tillage enterprise on the farm, ideally. Ideally, um, there should be only heifers there inside in the inside in the, the block of ground from one dairy farm. Um, but as I said, in Lyle's situation, he has several blocks of ground, so it works perfectly well for him. But it definitely can work well with another enterprise in the farm, yep. Yeah, and I, I suppose just to, to expand on it a little bit, like, I mean, there's varying degrees of, of arrangements on farms as well, so there, it's not always full from um, three months old, kind of four months old, all the way through to just prior to calving. There's a good few bits of variations in, in what people are doing too. Absolutely, yeah. Contract rearing can mean, can mean moving an animal at any age of its life, over and back. Um, the standard arrangement that you'd have is the weaned calf um, going onto the dry stock farm and coming back maybe at 20, 21 months of age. But with it, uh, in between that, there's many, many variations of it. We have some farmers who are... Who are taking in the, the year old heifer just for the summer grazing we have wheelands going in just for the summer grazing in one case i have there's animals being transferred in just for the winter period because the dairy farmer is um is short of housing so there's many many variations to contract rearing and when somebody generally rings up and asks me how much should i be getting for a contract rearing agreement there's no there's no one set price like it all depends on what it all depends on what the arrangement is and how long the animal is going to spend on the dry stock farm. Um, it depends on how much um, of the inputs the dry stock farmer and the dairy farmer are, are going to purchase. Um, so there's many different arrangements there. But what I would advise farmers who are looking at going contract rearing is to contact our advisor. We have, as I said, a very, very good uh, calculator. And I suppose that's the one big change I have seen in contract rearing over my 15 or so years involved in contract rearing. Um, in years gone by, there was many ad hoc kind of arrangements there. Um, a lot of figures done in the back of a fag box, but now we have a Chavez calculator there. It's, it works for both parties, it works for both the dairy farmer and for the beef farmer. And I would strongly consider anybody looking at contract and contact our advisor to go through the costs and to see if they're happy with what the level of margin is out of contract rearing. I suppose it's important to point out as well, Michael, that you're actually um, paying for a labour scenario there as well. Like you said, you mentioned earlier about um, that you're effectively leasing the land from the, the dry stock farmer in one sense. But that you like so when people are comparing the costs of if they can, because there's very few people that I know can actually tell you how much it costs them to rear a heifer themselves. But if you're if they're in a position to compare them one with the other, they have to factor in that they need to put a price in their own labour in the role as well. Otherwise, it's going to make it look like that they're they're uh, this is this business is more expensive to go down the route of contract rearing. Really, is it? Yeah. Look, and as I said in the calculator itself, um, while the labour charges are massive, um, it has been worked out before that there's 13 hours involved in, in rearing a, a, a calf to a heifer stage um, and the, the cost per end that is 15 euros an hour so again the, the labour charge isn't massive in the system 
But again, you have to take cognizance of the fact that there is work involved in rearing these animals. So the farmer has to be rewarded for their labour charge. Yeah, absolutely. OK, and finally, Michael, I'll just ask you, I suppose, as a dry stock advisor, then what advice would you give to dairy farmers that are consi- considering going contract rearing as a solution to either their nitrates or workload or both? Yeah, I strongly encourage dairy farmers to, to, to look at contract rearing. It's definitely a very good option for them. As I said, there's, there's a jam in this for both, for both parties. Um, the labour is a big issue on, on dairy farms at the moment. Land is a massive issue, as we outlined already. The whole banding system and the, the nitrates regulations may change coming down the road as well. What I would strongly recommend is to contact our advisor again. Um, do the costs and that job is calculated as what it does cost to rear a heifer and their own farm because some may be surprised by the costs that are involved in rearing a heifer and I think once they have the costs done and rearing these heifers that they may strongly consider looking at contract rearing after that Okay, thank you Michael that was a very good piece um, and thanks for talking to us today Okay, thank you Short That's all for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Michael Burke for joining us on this week's show Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagisk.ie. I'm Stuart Childs and join me next time for Your Dairy Edge.